Let's pray. Father God, as we come to your word, we ask that you would open our hearts and minds, that our lives would be changed, that we wouldn't be the same people walking out of here as we were when we walked in because of your word. Help your word touch our hearts. Help your word change our lives. Help your word, Father, to excite us to go out and tell others about Jesus Christ, the babe in the manger, in Christ's name, amen. It's a great joy, like I said, for us to be here. Why? Because that first line of the joy to the world carol is absolutely true. The Lord has come. The first line of that Christmas carol answers the last question of our 2022 Advent series questions. Over the last four weeks, we have been on a trip together, and we have laid out that trip like we did when I was a young boy. Most of you don't even know how to use a map anymore because we just plug it into our phones. And we have been taking a trip together and, and looking at God's plan of salvation as a whole and not just focusing on the babe in the manger. Because if we just look at the babe in the manger, we lose, we lose the idea of how grand and majestic God's plan of salvation is. And we've talked about it already, about how when we get so focused on the babe and it just becomes a cute little story about a, a mother and, and a traveling and a, the manger and all that kind of stuff, that we tell the story, we read the story, then we go on with our day, and culture has turned Christmas into something other than worshiping the one who came to save us because we haven't reflected on the big picture. And that was our goal this year, is to make sure that we talked about the babe in the manger and we celebrated the birthday of the babe in the manger, but that we also looked at God's grand plan all the way from Genesis up to here. And that is why we have named our series, The Road to Bethlehem Leads to Calvary. We started this trip in a town called Paradise. The Bible calls this town the Garden of Eden. While visiting this town, we saw the wonders of God's perfect creation. And we looked at Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 where God ended His creative event with the statement, and it was very good. And sometimes those of us who are very familiar with the Bible, we, we came to understand just think of very good, but we forget this is God, perfect, holy majestic saying it's very good it was a perfection that we can't even grasp it wasn't just very good like a cup of coffee it was perfection very good from god's very good perspective and we don't even we can't even begin to grasp that it was a great place to begin our trip but as with many trips we take the next town we visited was a terrible place to stop the town of rebellion, Genesis chapter 3. In this town, we saw how Adam and Eve rebelled against God and disobeyed God's first moral command not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was in this town that we learned how this one act of disobedience utterly changed the perfection of God's initial creation. It was no longer very good. It was no longer very good because it was tainted with sin. 
spiritual and physical death entered the world. Adam and Eve's relationship with each other dramatically changed. Adam and Eve's relationship with the earth changed, and their disobedience actually separated them from God Himself. They hid from Him for the first time since they've been created. They hid from their Creator. And then we also saw that all of mankind has inherited this sinful tendency, this sin nature. And we know this because all of us die. You see, death wasn't part of the initial creation. But when they died spiritually because of their moral rebellion, physical death entered the world. And we know that we have inherited that because all of us will eventually do what? Die. It was here in the town of Rebellion that we asked our first question. Does mankind need a Savior? And we answered this, that question this way. Mankind, because of their sin, has lost communion with God, are under His wrath and curse, and are spiritually dead. Mankind, because of their sin, has lost communion with God, and are under His wrath and curse, and are spiritually dead. Mankind in this wretched state is unable to redeem himself to God. Therefore, mankind needs a Savior. So yes, does mankind need a Savior? Very much so. And we were all very ready to leave this wretched town. Have you ever been on a trip where you're just traveling through and you hit this one place and it's like, I can't wait to leave. Well, we had to wait a whole week to leave this town. And the next stop on our trip was the town of Promise. Since mankind is unable to redeem themselves from the sinful state they inherited from Adam and Eve, they had no hope of turning God's wrath for them by their own efforts. There was no hope at all for mankind, but it was in the town of paradise that we found there really is hope for mankind. And it was in this town that we asked this question, since mankind needs a Savior, has God promised to send a Savior? And with a resounding yes, we said, God has promised a Savior starting in the Garden of Eden and throughout the whole Old Testament. God has promised a Savior. What, are, what a wonderful place this town of promise was. It was there that we saw God's promise in Genesis 3.15 that He would provide a Savior through Eve. After Eve rebelled, after Eve turned her back, He said, your, one of your offspring will eventually crush Satan's head, the one who tempted you. What a promise. What a promise. It would be through this Savior that God would provide a way of salvation. Then last week, we continued our trip to the town of Revelation. It was in this town that we asked this question. Since mankind needs a Savior and God has promised a Savior, has God identified who that Savior is? We also answered that question with a jubilant yes. God has identified a Savior throughout Scripture in many ways, and that Savior is Jesus Christ. And we looked at, the, in the town of Revelation, we looked at prophecies that God has recorded about who Jesus Christ was and how no other man in all of creation could have met the prophecies that, were, that Jesus Christ had fulfilled we also found that God revealed this, His promised Savior through angelic announcements, through statements made by men, and through statements made by Jesus Christ Himself. God identified very specifically in all of these things that Jesus Christ, the babe in the manger, was the promised Savior. 
And that brings so much joy to our heart because it is only through him that we know that we have salvation and access to God's grace and mercy. And today we leave the town of Revelation full of hope because God has clearly identified Jesus Christ as his promised Savior. And we have one last town to visit this Advent season, and it's the town of Bethlehem. The town of Bethlehem. A town many of us have visited before. In fact, most of us have probably probably visited many times. How many of you have ever read the Christmas story on Christmas morning? For 41 years, Kathy and I have been doing this with all of our kids. Every year we read it. And we visited the town of Bethlehem many, many times. And it is in this town that we will ask the question this morning, since mankind needs a Savior and God has promised a Savior and God has identified who that Savior is, has that promised Savior arrived? We can know all those other promises, right? But the real joy doesn't start until He shows up. Until that Genesis 3.15 prophecy is fulfilled and He shows up on earth. And of course, again, that answer is yes, God's promised Savior has arrived. And it is because of this answer that we are here today, this morning. Today is the day that we celebrate the arrival of the Savior God promised thousands of years ago. Today is the day we come together to worship the one who has proven his faithfulness to all generations. And this is why we have embarked on this trip over the last number of weeks. I've wanted you to see the grandeur of God's plan to provide a way of salvation for mankind. Christmas isn't just a celebration of the birth of the babe in the manger. It is a celebration of God's plan from eternity past to show his love, grace, and mercy towards those who have altogether turned their backs on him in a sinful rebellion. It is a celebration of who God is, of being so powerful, so all-knowing, that He wove thousands of years of history together to draw everyone's attention to the town of Bethlehem that we celebrate today. And Paul sums up this idea of God weaving all of history together in Galatians chapter 4 when he says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to do what? To redeem, to buy us back, to save us that we might receive the adoption of sons at the fullness of time. Think of all of history. From the time that God said, let there be light, God wove history, wove time to end up at the babe in the manger at a particular time in history, at a particular place in history. If we lose sight of the grandeur of God's plan to provide a way for salvation for you and I, then it's easy for us to forget why we celebrate Christmas. It's easy for us to lose sight of, the, of who the babe in the manger really is. And when that happens, the babe in the manger just becomes, as I said before, a cute story we read every Christmas. A story that, after it is read, fades into the background, overshadowed by presents and family traditions and food. But I pray that our trip this year has helped remind you the grandeur of God's plan, a plan that resulted in God's Savior arriving to save mankind as promised. So how do we know that God's promised Savior has arrived? I don't want you to panic. Sometimes my wife looks at the notes the first time and she sees all these blanks and she gives me a panicked look up, at my, up here. like. And most of you who've been in my Sunday school class are going like, he'll never make it. He'll never make it. 
But we're going to make it, and we're going to kind of rip through nine reasons that we know why the Savior has arrived. Nine reasons why the Savior has arrived. First, the angels announced His arrival. The angels announced His arrival. Here we have Matthew chapter 1, 20, verses 20 through 21. But as he considered these things, and that is Joseph's, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name, what? Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. The angel is standing before Joseph and saying, this babe will be the man that will save them from their sins. This is the promised Savior. And he tells Joseph that. And then we also see in Luke chapter 2, and you, I'd like everybody here this morning to take uh, your Bibles. We're going to turn to a number of passages. The page number in the red Bible, if you don't have one, if you didn't bring one with you, is up on the screen, page 1090. We're going to read some longer passages this morning, and it's just easier for everybody to read them. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14, understanding that this is another angelic announcement that the Savior has arrived. Luke chapter 2, verse 8, and in the same reason there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day. What does that mean? He has arrived. He was born today. He has arrived. The Savior has arrived. In the city of David, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with with the angelic multitude of the heavenly host, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace with whom he is pleased. And you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. You, you will find him. He has been born, he has arrived, and you can go see him. Can you imagine the shepherds? They dropped everything. Let's go, let's go see, let's go verify. And what did the shepherds do after the angelic announcement? We see that in Luke chapter 2, verse 20. Just drop down a few verses there. Verse 20. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. They had seen the Savior, the promised Savior, and He arrived. They had seen the evidence of what the angels had announced. Jesus Christ. The Savior of mankind had arrived. We also see that the Magi confirmed His arrival. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. You'll see it on page 1026. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it arose, and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. 
They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and he ascertained from them what the star had been. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own countries by another way. This visit that is recorded here happened probably around two years after the shepherds had visited the babe in the manger. These magi, these wise men, bowed down and worshipped the child their study of Scripture had shown was be the king of the Jews. They had traveled great distance based on the study of Scriptures that they had looking for the king of the Jews. A king that had been prophesied hundreds of years before. The king of the Jews who was the promised Savior and had arrived just like the Scriptures they had studied revealed he would. The Magi saw the king. They verified who he was. And how do we know that he was the Savior? Because they bowed down and worshipped him. They didn't just come to see the kid in the manger. They came to worship. How far did you have to come today to worship the Savior? Most of us, less than 10 miles. These men traveled for weeks to come and see the Savior because they trusted the Scriptures they had and they worshipped Him, proving that the Savior had arrived. Then we also see that Herod was threatened by his arrival. Herod was threatened by his arrival. And you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 18. Verse 13, and now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to, be de to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. And this was to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. And then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. And then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Herod was very familiar with Jewish religion. He would have known about their long longing for a promised Messiah. And Herod believed the Magi. He believed what they had told him about the king of the Jews being born. And when he couldn't find him because of Joseph had been warned to leave, he exterminated, listen to that word, he exterminated every boy or child two years and younger in the entire region. 
Think about that. Think about how threatened Herod was to go and kill two-year-old and less children, boys specifically, in the whole region because he was afraid the king of kings had come, the king of the Jews had come. Herod believed God's promised Savior, the king of the Jews, had arrived and was so threatened that he had hundreds and hundreds of children killed. We don't like that idea of proof that he, was, that he arrived, that the Savior had arrived, but it's part of the biblical text. On a much more positive note, another proof that he had arrived, we find from Simeon, who praised his arrival. Please turn with me to Luke chapter 2, and we'll read verses 25 through 32. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Simeon's confirmation that God's promised Savior had come was God's confirming his own promise. Luke records that Simeon was in the Spirit when he entered the temple. In other words, he was being guided by the Holy Spirit. And so we have not only... Simeon's human announcement that the Savior had arrived, but we have God's announcement through the Holy Spirit that the Savior had arrived. And you know what's really neat about that passage? It's not just talking about Israel. At the end of that passage, it talks about the Savior's for the Gentiles too. Why does that make us so excited this morning? Because we're the Gentiles. We are here celebrating this because God said, I am going to provide salvation for all men, for everyone who would come by faith to my son, Jesus Christ. In response to Simeon's revelation that Mary and Joseph's child was the promised Savior, Anna, a prophetess, confirms what Simeon said. And she begins to bear witness of this child to all who would listen. And Anna thanked God for his arrival. Look at Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. And she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then was a widow until she was 84. And she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and praying, praying night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him. Who's the him? Of the child that Simeon had just raised to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna confirmed Simeon's revelation that the Savior had arrived. Are you kind of getting the idea that we're sure that he arrived? The scriptures are very clear. We need a Savior. We've been promised a Savior. We understand that Savior is Jesus Christ. And we know beyond a shadow of a doubt 
today as we sit here, that our Savior has arrived and has provided the salvation for us that was promised so many years ago, thousands of years ago in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. We also see that God has confirmed His arrival, the Savior's arrival, God Himself. Please turn to Matthew chapter 3, and we'll look at verses 13 through 17. 13 through 17. Jesus is beginning His own public ministry at this point in time, starting in verse 13. And then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by Him. And John would have prevented Him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to the rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now you have to kind of draw two passages together here. Remember all the way back when the angel told Mary that she was going to be with child. And what did he tell her this child would be? The Son of God. And here we have God Himself saying, This is my what? Son in who I am well pleased. And again, we have God Himself identifying Jesus Christ as the Son, the Savior that He promised. And then later, after Jesus' ministry had been going for a while, he met a Samaritan woman and revealed to her that he was the Messiah. And through her testimony, many other Samaritans in her village became Christian or became believers. And so we have a, the Samaritans believed that the promised Savior had come, that he had arrived. And if you will turn with me to John, or John chapter 4, verse 42, and they, and this is the townspeople, the ones who had come to believe in Jesus Christ, who had talked to him personally, and they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we what? No. Circle that word. No doubt. Think about who is saying this. The Samaritans. The Samaritans are saying that Jesus Christ, a Jew, how well did the Samaritans and the Jews get along? They hated each other. And here we have a town of Samaritans who are looking at a Jewish Jesus Christ. And what do they say? And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Think of what, this, what they're saying. How in the world would anybody think that a Samaritan would look at a Jew and say, this is the Messiah. This is the Savior. And then we have, after Jesus' death and resurrection, we find, and when they, and this is the apostles, had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. That would be the name of Jesus Christ. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. 
The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. And God exalted him at his right hand as leader and what? Savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. What a clear testimony given by the apostles. There is no doubt in their mind that the promised Savior has come. They were willing to stand before the Jewish religious leaders no matter what the cost and testify that the promised Savior had come. They were willing to pay whatever price was needed, and most of them we know were killed because of that testimony. Notice that there are actually two witnesses to the truth of the Savior's arriving, the apostles and the Holy Spirit himself. The Holy Spirit gives testimony that Jesus Christ the Savior of the world, the promised Savior, has arrived. And we are here celebrating that this morning. And finally, it is important that we know that even with all these other witnesses, that Jesus Christ Himself claimed to be the promised Savior. It would be kind of odd to have all these claims that the Savior has arrived. All the fingers pointing at Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ not saying, yes, I am. And look at Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man, this is a title that Jesus Christ most often referred to Himself by. For the Son of Man came to do what? Seek and to save the lost. He came to be the Savior Here we have Jesus stating his purpose for being born as the babe in the manger. This was Jesus Christ's mission. This is why he came incarnate in the flesh, in human flesh, so that he could seek and to save that which was lost. His claim to be the promised Savior is also proof that the promised Savior has arrived because the Savior himself, which we have seen repeatedly, others saying he has arrived, The Savior Himself says, yes, I have arrived. I have a mission. And we know that He fulfilled that mission. So let me ask you a question. And this is not a rhetorical question. This is one that if you're really excited about being here today, see, I set you up, right? So if you don't say anything, it means you're not excited about being here. If you're really excited about being here today, I want you to answer this question. Has the promised Savior arrived? Yes. Yes, He has. That one thing gives more meaning for today than any family tradition you are going to experience. That one truth is better than any food that you will ever experience today. Jesus Christ, our Savior, has arrived. And He arrived as a babe in the manger. And that's why we're here to celebrate. It is He that we should worship throughout the day. It is He who provides a way of salvation for all those who come to Him in faith, believing He is the promised Savior of mankind that we saw all the way back in Genesis 3.15. Our trip is not over, though. You see, 
if you think about it, the road to Bethlehem leads to where? This series is going to conclude in East, at Easter because we want to see how the road to, from Bethlehem leads to what? Calvary. So we're not done with the journey. We found a really good Airbnb here in Bethlehem, and we're going to stay here for a few weeks until Easter comes, and then we will continue this journey. I want you to reflect on a couple of questions. You know, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Bible reveals that this Savior, this promised Savior has arrived. A Savior can arrive, but if you have not accepted Him as your Savior, He is not your Savior. So let me ask you this, is Jesus Christ truly your Savior? Is He truly your Savior? Have you come to a point in your life where you know that because of Adam and Eve, I have a sin nature. And because of that sin nature, I have sinned throughout my whole life. There is not one of the commandments that I have ever kept in my life. And as we think about that, we come to a conclusion that we need somebody's help. That there is no possible way for us to repair the relationship with the God of creation that was broken by Adam and Eve and their disobedience. We need help. We need a Savior. We need Jesus Christ, and everybody here needs Jesus Christ. If you've said yes, that he, I do know Him as my Savior, do you know that for sure? Beyond a shadow of a doubt, I can't say that. I can't make that determination for you. You have to make it for yourself. So how do you know? Does your life show it? Do your life priorities show it? Does your love for the body of Christ show it? Because you see, with salvation of this Savior who has arrived comes a changed life. You cannot accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and not have your life change. And I pray and ask that if anybody here today is not sure that you would at some time in the next few days come and talk to me, come and talk to Justice, Ricky, maybe somebody you know that's sitting next to you, talk to Felicia and Tammy, talk to my wife and say, listen, I want to be sure and we would love to take time to sit down with you and help you see even more clearly how this Savior, this promised Savior who has arrived can become your Savior to where Christmas now means something totally different than it has your entire life. Please allow us to do that. Please bow your heads. Father God, we praise your name for loving us enough to send your Son to save us when all of us have utterly turned our backs on you. Thank you for that love and that grace and that mercy. And Father God, I pray that you would 
begin to open the hearts and minds of those here who may not have assurance of salvation. I pray, Lord God, that you would not let them rest until they find more out, more out more about Jesus Christ. And Lord God, I pray for everybody here this morning that this day, this day of celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ, the promised Savior, our Savior, that this day would be a celebration of that more than anything else. Father, help us not to get caught up in the trappings of a Christmas that is just a holiday. Father, those things are not bad until they take the place of the true meaning of Christmas. And Father, I pray that that true meaning would not be lost on anybody here this morning. Thank you for the privilege of being here this morning on the actual day that we celebrate the Savior's birth. Thank you, Lord God, that we can use this day as a real birthday celebration for our Savior, Jesus Christ. In Christ's name, amen.